Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Be a leader in loss prevention by implementing integrated solutions that enhance safety, reduce shrink, and help to improve merchandising, operations, and customer service. Bosch Integrated Security and Communication Solutions spans Zones 1 through 4 in the LPRC's Zones of Influence while enriching the customer experience and delivering valuable data to help increase retail profitability. Learn more by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast, uh, the weekly episodes. And what we're going to be talking about today is uh, we'll go around with uh, my co-hosts, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan. Uh, our producer, Kevin Tran, talk a little bit about what's going on in the world um, and what people are trying to do about it. <clears throat> uh, first, looking again at the, at the coronavirus, here we are, um, still uh, heavily engaged. Infections uh, are anywhere from up to stable to down, depending on the state, the county, the city, um, and who's doing the counting and how they're counting. Um, but we're still heavily, heavily engaged in coronavirus. Uh, virus fight here. It's affecting every part of our lives and business. We see on that macro scale, um, emerging group that's come out that's um, trying to help everybody understand, looking at data that lockdowns are a pretty draconian approach that while they may have been merited for a while at the beginning, um, they're not advising, they're advising against them coming up, uh, including some of the more significant uh, uh, epidemiologist at the WHO, the, the World Health Organization. Um, there's been a letter signed by literally hundreds of epidemiologists, virologists, and other physicians and, and scientists um, also opposing future lockdowns. Um, but it's just a very difficult time. There's a lot of things going on. And people are trying to understand the harm that the virus does, um, both directly and indirectly. And we know that the harm that the lockdowns do uh, can cause because of the isolation, the psychological effects, um, the diminished education uh, that, that our, our, our kids are receiving, um, the effects on the elderly. Um, we know that what it's doing to individuals' abilities to earn a living, um, using up their savings. Um, there's disparities. I saw a physician group talking about the wealthier um, or homebound workers on a typical basis are fine. It's everybody else, all the essential workers that are paying dearly for that strategy or that tactic. So between um, everybody masking up, um, continuing the physical distancing um, and things like that, those are some of the track and trace where possible, going back in time, retrospective tracking and tracing, but also going forward, uh, that type of tracing seems to be called for. Um, the, but the research right now, there's, it's been mixed again. Can somebody get reinfected or not? What's the immunity that's uh, provided? Is it anti-antibodies? Is it uh, T cells or other B cells that launch uh, continuing antibodies and all these types of debates within the scientific community and the physicians that are uh, involved in this? Uh, but, it, but regardless, with over 23 coronaviruses that have been studied over the years, evidently primarily in colds, um, it doesn't look like there's long-term immunity in the same way that influenza may not have that. It's not the same as, um, say, the measles or, uh, or some other uh, virus. It may have lifelong immunity once you're infected so, or vaccinated. 
So that's the, some of that debate. So that just means we need to continue to look at uh, reduction, suppression of the, of the virus again through masking and physical distancing so that we just can't transmit a viremic uh, person can't transmit the virus to another person or doesn't transmit as much of the viral components to that individual. So nothing's really changed there. Um, that seems to reduce the probability of infection, the probability of a serious disease if uh, one of us are infected. Um, simple as that. Um, therapies, there are now several hundred continuing. We know over 600 um, have been submitted to the FDA um, that we know that uh, mono and combi therapies, therapies are out there. There's been some significant findings so far in phase one and two trials as far as uh, how these work, um, that this one combination therapy that's come out seems to, pro to provide really um, different mechanisms of action, but is keeping people out of the hospital or, or from serious disease. So there, there's some really promising therapies here, particularly in these um, monoclonal antibodies, um, a mono treatment, and then there's one that combines two of these uh, antibody uh, mixtures together or, or therapies together. Um, and they are also starting to understand there could even be another mechanism of action that they hadn't really realized that the antibody or whatever we inject in, it's going, the, our immune system rises to the occasion, starts to generate antibodies and killer T cells and trying to suppress the disease. Um, that may trigger bradykinin and, and all types of different cytokines, storms, and things like that. We may have an overreaction, too much inflammation, uh, too much um, uh, clogging of our breathing uh, and affection are affecting our all or sorts of systems because very systemic our our brain our circulatory system and so on um, but that uh, some of these therapies look like they also recruit new antibodies to be generated uh, in themselves so uh, some exciting research looks very promising um, the time frame again may be mid next year uh, by the time some of these are ready to go they've made it through phase three trials um, Hong Kong they've come up with uh, a dual action, um, it's just now entering or preparing to enter phase one trials, um, safety and efficacy of dose ranging type studies um, that has dual action. Uh, in other words, it seems to affect not only coronaviruses and specifically uh, the SARS-CoV-2 that we're dealing with, but also um, maybe at least one or more influenza or flu viruses. So that would be an interesting vaccination um, and can reduce some of that. Also, it can be delivered nasally. And there's, you'll see a lot of debate. I think we've talked about this earlier that um, if we're injected in our arm or, you know, a large muscle, um, the idea is to generate systemic immunity or at least uh, the capability of our bodies to, if we're prepared and ready when, when we are exposed to that particular virus, um, to either completely suppress it and clear it or at least to reduce the severity of the disease. Um, in this case, now they're talking about um, the nasal spray may actually help sterilize that area where the virus uh, enters and exits. So we may be less um, infectious ourselves once being vaccinated nasally, uh, be, rather than if we're injected to the arm, we may become somewhat immune uh, to the virus, but we may still be transmitting it if we've got some of the RNA in our um, respiratory system. So stay tuned, a lot of interesting things. 11 uh, viruses are in phase three trials. J&J has temporarily suspended theirs because of an unexpected illness in one of the test participants. This happens, we've seen that with the AstraZeneca out of the, in 
out of the UK that they're doing with the University of Oxford. Uh, that trial resumed uh, uh, in Europe and then I believe now in the United States. So that's what happens when somebody who's in the trial gets an unknown or a suspected illness. They'll take a look at the data, see what they've got. If everything, if they don't believe it's caused by the vaccine or by the placebo, if they're in that arm of the test, then they continue to proceed. Um, India and Iceland have contributed now uh, large scale infection studies, which will be helpful for the scientists, but mostly for the policymakers and practitioners out there um, looking at uh, how much it's spread. Iceland's particularly uh, useful for all kind of research, even in criminology we do because of the small um, and pretty homogeneous uh, society that they've got. Um, and so they're able to study things. Um, use, we use their uh, genetics as well to understand the variance and how much of variance in somebody's behavior or their immunity or their other uh, physiological elements are explained by their genetics versus home raising and so forth. Uh, but in that case, 44% um, with uh, antibodies tested negative. Um, and so that's an interesting and puzzling result. Uh, two thirds though um, had no symptoms of those that were tested that were positive, had no symptoms, two thirds. Um, so there was no human reinfection studies uh, done. Obviously those are un considered to be unethical where somebody has been exposed, has gotten the illness, um, has cleared it, and then now uh, some scientist is going to re-expose them to the disease. Um, that type of challenge study we've talked about uh, is frowned on right now unless until there are therapies available to recover somebody should they get serious disease. Um, so a lot going on, looks promising, um, but again, uh, the prevention seems to be the key. Uh, hand washing is continues to be a concern with maybe only a third to uh, uh, to two thirds of the population actually still regularly washing or sanitizing their hands um, and not touching their face, something that we know was drummed into us early on, um, but still play, pays a, uh, plays a key role. It looks like uh, airborne transmission is the primary mode, but that uh, clearly, obviously, the, the phone lights are as well. So um, turning over to LPRC, um, we're looking at uh, impact was last week. Um, the feedback we've got been, gotten has been excellent. The content, the speakers that we got, the agenda, the, the I think the timing, um, the way that the, the conference rolled out, uh, all of we've gotten really, really good feedback. <clears throat> we were excited the way the Hopit uh, platform that we used has progressed and um, our solution partners that sponsored the event. We can't do these, nobody can do these without that, that critical sponsorship. Uh, they had their booths. There was a lot of engagement. Um, I went to every booth. I saw retailers in every booth at some point, and they're talking and engaging. That seemed to go well. I think the interaction um, sessions went well. There was a lot of networking going on during those periods. Um, so, it, you know, we're all living and learning here. Um, but it, overall, um, I was excited, very, very proud of the LPRC team you know, Kevin and Jesse, and I could go on, Kenna and Corey and Natanya and Logan, Diego, everybody just working day and night, but working smart, not just hard. Um, and then the LPRC impact committee that that band that gets back together every year. Um, amazing stuff. The board of advisors getting in there and engaging. Um, but what we want to do is steer you all to lpresearch.org, our website, lpresearch.org. You're going to see Kevin and team are going to be posting 
uh, the on-demand videos from 2020 Impact, that content will be available starting next week, mid to late next week. So look forward to, to that. Um, as we here we are on the 13th of October, so look forward to the following week onward, having access to that. Working groups continue strong, a lot of engagement. Um, we've got a 2020 election cluster call coming up with our members where we're gonna go through potential election scenarios and what, who and how, who might be triggered by whatever outcomes or confusion that results from the election. Um, and then what the implications are as far as what they might do, where, when, and how. Um, and, uh, and then what are implications for uh, protecting uh, before and during. Um, Tom's on here. He can talk a little bit more about the LP Innovation Working Group, um, but they're uh, part of the SOC Lab, the Fusion Net concept with um, using a platform so that the retailers corporately can talk to each other before, during, and after um, dangerous weather events and uh, dangerous uh, social unrest events um, has been stood up. I think we've got a little over a dozen uh, retail practitioners helping us beta test that. Um, we're going to continue to simplify the actual um, the actual platform itself and, and what it looks like so that it's very easy to use. But the idea again is, is corporate to corporate level, um, but in the field and where events might be happening, let's say a hurricane is pending or has struck uh, or, or um, a violent event, then the locals will also have uh, one or more channels available that they can coordinate with each other and with law enforcement um, and a benefit there looks like um, the corporate, uh, instead of calling and tying up their team members um, so frequently during these events, uh, they can monitor that channel and get a better idea of what's going on um, without bothering and taking their people off task. So um, go to the website, lpresearch.org, lpresearch.org um, to find out more about what's going on there. Um, LPRC Innovate, we now have two AI projects stood up um, with more on the way. We're engaging the, uh, the three different student groups we talk about from engineering, computer science, and from the Innovation Academy. Um, so with no further ado, um, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to friend and colleague, Tony D'Onofrio. Tony? Thank you very much, uh, Reed. Uh, let me start, first of all, by congratulating uh, the entire LPRC uh, team on impact. I think it was outstanding. The feedback that I received has been very, very positive. So really, congratulations on executing a very professional event. To give you an idea on the popularity of it, a post that I did on uh, day two in terms of uh, encouraging people to attend reached almost 8,000 views. So, uh, so congratulations, great event, and I'm looking forward to the playback to see the sessions that I did also missed. Uh, let me now switch to some industry data in terms of what's going on out there. Let me start with a some new research on how many times each of us is on a security camera during a week. CNBC reported that by 2021, there will be an estimated 1 billion CCTV cameras in the world. 10 to 18% of these will be in the US. CBS News reported the US has at least one security camera for every 4.6 people compared to one camera for every 4.1 people in China. And China has a larger population, and that's why the density is a little bit lower. A study by safety.com found that the average American is filmed 14 times while in the home or in the neighborhood, 160 times while driving. That was by far the, the largest. 
40 times while I work and 24 times while shopping or running errands. So for a total, each of us on average is on camera 238 times a week, some security camera is watching us. So I found that very interesting. Also very interesting, and it ties into uh, some of the discussions at Impact, COVID-19 has opened multiple new services such as buy online, pick up and store, or as commonly known, uh, BOPIS. Less than 15% of retailers had these new services optimized prior to COVID-19. And the problem with these services, they actually cost retailer money. So if they're not optimized, they decline margin. So to give you an idea, it actually has been measured. If you don't optimize these services, buy online, return to store, we lose 5.5% in margin. Local delivery from store, if it's not optimized, you lose 8% in margin. Buy online, pick up in store, you lose 5.5% in margin. And buy in store, pick up at another store, you lose 6% in margin. So to address this, what is happening already, there's a major spike in new technologies being deployed at the services. The two most important are microservices architecture, which are going to spike by 750%, and edge computing, which is going to spike 460%. And edge computing is one of the most critical ones. Uh, when when uh, this question was asked, when edge computing used, how much more likely are retailers to have optimized each customer journey prior to COVID-19 surge impact? And this is the impact. If you do optimize them, Buy online, return in store were plus 127%. Buy online, pick up in store, plus 139%. Buying for pickup at another store, plus 128%. Edge computing tied to artificial intelligence is where we're going. And this is extremely timely to what we just mentioned, which is the, info, the intensive focus that LPRC is now poking up posing on artificial intelligence, the key technology to the Innovate program. So stay close and follow that closely. A couple other interesting data pieces from the Wall Street Journal this week. Um, one is online sales grew 44.5% in the second quarter compared to 2019, and they now make up 16% of all U USA retail sales. Foot traffic in stores is down by an average of 14% from July to the second week of September compared to last year, according to some mobile location data. Also, the Wall Street Journal had an article this week on live streaming. And I actually talked about live streaming based on a blog that I wrote that I shared on this podcast in terms of the highlights. And again, just as a refresher, live streaming in China grew 453% in the last three years and is now an e-commerce channel valued at $129 billion. And guess what? It's now coming to the US, according to a new Wall Street Journal report that just came out. Coresight Research predicts that live streaming shopping events in the US will generate 25 billion by 2023. And as an example, again, not as developed here, but go back to China in terms of what's possible uh, Tommy Hilfiger, which is um, uh, in one of their live stream events in China in August, attracted 14 million views and sold out 1,300 in hoodies in uh, two minutes. So right now, Amazon, Facebook, and Instagram 
have launched our testing live sales platform. One consumer that used it said, I loved it. I love the styling advice. It was almost like having a personal shopper. So check out my blog on live streaming to understand the concept as it's critical to apparel, especially uh, because uh, as I said again on this podcast, apparel is not going to recover to 2019 levels until the distant year of 2023. So good news in terms of new models being tried and artificial intelligence, uh, and again, the importance of LPRC. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tom. Well, thanks, Tony. Thanks, Reed. And I am driving, so I apologize for the background noise, but uh, in the new world, we're always virtual, we're always moving. Um, you know, I, I just want to start off by saying uh, we, don't, we don't prep for these and how aligned we are. So I think you'll see kind of crossover in everything we talk about. I'll, I'll start with um, what we're doing with the LPRSC Innovations Group and the SOC or Fusion Net. Um, I really like the word Fusion Net because it is different than our traditional virtual SOC. Uh, as Rudy mentioned, we have about a dozen members right now, and we are looking for more people to get involved. So if you reach out to myself or anybody at the LPRC to learn how you can get involved, now is the time to do that. And we do have um, the first iteration of the setup up and running with some key topics around uh, surrounding uh, violence, civil disturbance, weather events. And we're really honing in on what we're going to focus on. As we discussed earlier, we will have somewhat of a live sock for the election in and around the events that occur. So I think stay tuned for that. And um, probably by next week's podcast, we'll have a much more formal update. Again, I encourage any listener, uh, regardless of who they're with, if they're interested in being involved to reach out. Uh, we are still looking for a, fo- a few folks, really hoping to get folks that are in the open source intelligence world, the intelligence or the threat assessment realm uh, for retailer risk management. Uh, uh, right now, that's where we're focused. We're not really on the investigative side of the, the, the world right now, but if you have an investigator with your organization that's heavy into social media listening or open source intelligence gathering, this is a great tool to utilize. Switching gears, and you know, I won't get too far into it, but I, I think Tony and I are completely aligned. There um, is this new live streaming, and I think uh, about a year ago, I wrote an article about the future and predicted this before COVID, not because I'm that smart, but because the news has been saying it for some time. Uh, with these live streaming shopping events, there is risk that's posed. Uh, and the risk is that anybody can do it. So right now, Tony and myself could set up a storefront online, create a really robust live streaming event and not ship merchandise. So it's important that when you're looking for deals that you stay with reputable brands or people you recognize uh, the social media networks allow anybody to live stream, anybody to set up these marketplaces. And just yesterday, uh, there was just a rash of what I would say are all um, good intention marketplaces that were following suit with some of the bigger brands. The bigger brands will continue to do this. And I think it was Forbes or Wall Street Journal that commented very QVC or home shot like when you look at the way that these are set up. Next thing um, I wanted to talk about is uh, the Proud Boys. So I think uh, I was reached out a couple of times uh, during LPRC Impact, which again was great read. I know that uh, we're, we're not to be repetitive here. I had the opportunity to do a session at the end of the day on day one. Um, and to my surprise, we kept, uh, even we were on the last session and we still had about 270 people tuned in, which is fantastic. A lot of great questions. And we focused on digital offenders. And we talked a little bit about extremist groups and some of the things and how they're utilizing social media. Uh, 
and Telegram and some of these messaging apps. So I got a, a couple offline questions about the Proud Boys. So I, I did a little research. After the debate, this became a very well-known name. But it's important to know just how social media can affect things. There really are only about 600 members of the Proud Boys uh, that you can find uh, globally. Uh, and this is not a big group. Uh, it has a very interesting past. And I'm going to write an article about it and I'll share details of that when I'm done with it. But it actually was founded by uh, the starter of Vice Media. Yes, the real Vice Media. The founder of Vice Media is the person who started the Proud Boys. Uh, it's a very interesting story uh, from a sense that uh, it, when you really read it, it's interesting at a comical level of how ridiculous some of the things that the Proud Boys say and do. And that I am not taking side politically here. Um, it is actually just the way it came about. And uh, the founder of Vice is this uh, kind of really interesting, uh, has this kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but he talks about ironicism and kind of makes comments and cha changes them to comedic when he's not actually being comedic. And that is how the Proud Boys started. So um, one of the, the real keys I just wanted to mention on the, the podcast here is when you think of the media and everybody talking about it, you're talking about a group that, um, while it's probably a little bit more organized than others, has almost no membership in, in relationship to the total population of even a very, very small city or town. Um, and that's, that's based on a lot of research that um, was done not just by myself, but by other people in the community. But it, it shows what the power and potential of social media has. A group with less than a thousand members gets mentioned on a presidential debate because of the emphasis social media has. So I think when we think through how we're using social media and going back to what we started with, this fusion net is more important than ever because it allows us to really validate and work as a group to identify, is this actually a threat? Regardless of the highest level of, of people mentioning it, is it actually a threat to us? Will it disturb our business? Um, and the short answer related to the Proud Boys is it's not. I do think that their membership will grow based on the comment but it is um, still, I mean, when you compare it to any of the other any of the other extremist groups out there, um, they're almost non-existent. From uh, there are more media folks following them than actual members. So I thought it was pertinent to say that because that came up multiple times after my session at Impact. As is this a risk? What's going to happen? We we hear this group has guns and and so on and so forth. And there's really no data to support that this group is even. Um, you know, even even a remote threat. So just wanted to wrap that that way. And then I think Tony also hit heavily on the the, the devices on the edge. And I was going to talk a little bit about IoT and the influx of IoT devices on the edge and the importance to just make sure that um, regardless of if you're buying a consumer device, if you're buying a commercial device, to take a little bit of time to look through the manufacturer of these devices because these devices are being made by the billion, not by the million right now. Um, and IoT devices by design in the consumer world are made to be very easy and seamless, which allows for risk. And usually when it's super easy and super um, quick to set up, that means that there are some uh, potential cybersecurity risks. Now, that's a general statement. Um, I'm not suggesting that you uh, become paranoid about it. But if you're buying an off-brand or a non-name brand product, it, it's worth the due diligence to look at what type of software patching or updates they have. 
uh, available. And that goes the same as a commercial device. The, the edge devices are um, arguably going to be more through the roof than they ever have. They're everywhere. And for retailers today, I don't know that you're going to see many devices in the future in the retail sector that doesn't have edge computing on it. Uh, and the challenge here is making sure that you have a device that's easy to patch, easy to protect, and easy to monitor. Um, that's all I have for today. I'm over to you, Reed. All right. Thanks so much, Tom. Stay safe out there. Um, I appreciate everybody getting on today, listening. Um, we do. We do want you to share lpresearch.org. Um, send it to uh, operations at lpresearch.org by email. Please share your thoughts, your suggestions, your uh, critiques, um, anything that you would like to see or hear, uh, what you'd like to know about LPRC and how to get involved, engaged with us, our events, our knowledge center, our, our webinars, you know, our cluster calls, our working groups, um, all of those are there, they're available. Um, we're working with uh, over 65 major retail chains. Um, we're working with almost 80 of the leading technology companies um, and we're working with some of the major uh, product manufacturers like Procter & Gamble and, and so forth. So um, we'd love to get you engaged as well. That's why we're here. We were stood up by uh, retailers and we are driven by retailers to uh, serve their needs, to help suppress, reduce, uh, mitigate uh, theft, fraud, and violence. Um, but mostly to do all that to provide a much better work and shopping experience. Um, so with that, I want to thank uh, Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Ian and Kevin Tran, our producer. I want to thank you all and please be safe out there. Um, signing off from Gainesville. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.